March 23rd, 2022, in Masechet Sanhedrin, it's about 13 lines down from the top. But before beginning, I want to just quickly uh, catch you up to date with regards to what we talked about yesterday and previous days, what we'll talk about a little bit in days to come, and try to give a little bit of perspective as to the significance of these sugyot, of these conversations, aside from the important halachic ramifications, but generally speaking, those are in the world of non-Jews of B'nai Noach, how it can and should relate to our perspective and understanding of life. I'm going to read just for a moment from this book, By His Light. By His Light are different lectures, different dirashot that were given by one of my father's uh, foremost uh, mentors and rabbis in life is Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. Rabbi Lichtenstein, it's important to note because you'll, you'll hear it in just a moment. He was a student primarily initially of uh, Yeshivat Chaim Berlin. His, his, his initial rabbi in life was Rabbi Yitzchak Kutner. Rabbi Yitzchak Kutner was the head of Chaim Berlin, which uh, many of us are familiar with from Coney Island Avenue, at least today. He later moved to Israel. And he was the son-in-law of one of my father's other mentors and teachers in life of Rabbi Soloveitchik. That's Rav Lichtenstein. He was, over the course of several decades, the head of Yeshivat Haaretzion in Israel. He passed away just a couple of years ago. Anyway, in a context which you'll pick up on in just a moment, he begins by quoting from his rabbi. He says, translating this into our categories, I recall years back, hearing a talk by Mori Virbi, Rav Yitzchak Hotner, Zichron Sadiq Livracha, regarding the relationship between Berit Avraham and Berit Noach. He says, I remember the conversation which they were discussing, or the rabbi was discussing, the relationship, how do we relate to God's covenant, his Berit, with Noah, and we know that explicitly in the Torah, the mitzvot to Noah, and subsequently to Abraham, to Bnei Yisrael. As he put it, did Berit Abraham come on top, quote-unquote, of the foundation of Berit Noah, or was it meant to replace it? That's the fundamental question, right? You understand that the question is, is as we are Bnei Israel, as we understand that we have 606 more mitzvot than those seven of Bnei Noah, do we understand those as replacing the seven, and now we have 613 which stand apart from those? Or alternatively, is it that there's the seven foundational mitzvot and averot, which all are commanded, and so to speak, we have 606 on top of it, our berit with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is something that goes beyond those initial foundations, but doesn't negate them. He says, Rav Hutner wished to learn from Rabbeinu Yonah and Masech Berachot that the latter was the case. And he took Shabbat as the test case. Jews, of course, are commanded not to work on Shabbat. This is our circumstance. Listen to the proof of Rav Hutner. Jews are commanded not to work on Shabbat. However, Hazal interpreted the verse, Yom Valayla Lo Yishpotu, right? The Pasuk describes how uh, they're going to be all the seasons and Lo Yishpotu. This is the Gemara we were learning from yesterday. What we derive from that? Do you remember what we derive from that? that Bnei Noach are specifically commanded, quote-unquote, to work on Shabbat. Well, wait a second, says, says Rav Hutner. It says, uh, whereas, as teaching that Bnei Noach are always obligated to work. In, in fact, the Gentile refrains from Melachan Shabbat is punished. Evidently, concluded Rav Hutner, the universal value of lo yishbotu has been countervailed within our more specific Jewish context. Thus, the new Berit is meant to replace the old. Do you understand the deduction of Rav Hutner? Rav Hutner says... If Bnei Noach are specifically commanded to work on Shabbat in the eyes of the Hakamim, 
that if a goyish Shabbat hayav mita, not to be taken literally according to Rambam, but meant to be speaking truths to us, how could you or should you in any way imagine that our berit with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is on top of that? It's not on top of that. It counteracts that. It erases anything that existed before him. Now, it will be anything but clear, this conversation. Uh, Rav Lichtenstein, in just a moment, will tell us his perspective on him. We'll listen to his Diyuk and Harambam. But what's most important, again, to stop and to analyze and to realize is this speaks to who we are as B'nai Israel. The question as B'nai Israel uh, needs to be asked of each of, we need to ask ourselves, are we, with regards to our relationship with the Umot Ha'olam, are we the replacement, quote-unquote? Or are we sharing specific values with them we've just gone beyond? has major ramifications beyond just the way I think about things. has ramifications with regards to how I might learn from them if I'm going to. Can I learn from their values? Or are their values superseded and replaced by our values? Are there specific universal values that can and should affect me? And the Torah is telling me I'm just building on, on top of it in terms of my relationship with God. Or alternatively, is this meant to be uprooted and now only look to Matan Torah, to B'nai Yisrael after the giving of the Torah? A hundred percent. That's why he can't prove it, right? No, Rav Hunder can say Shabbat is a proof text or a proof example, a proof case, a case example in which I'll be able to point to. Absolutely. What do you do in general with our entire sugya? You'll see the sugya to come. As I mentioned, far from simple, both in terms of texts as well as in terms of philosophical spin. Right. 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 I understand, but what I'm telling you is, I can uh, put a student into my class, or I can replace them with another one. Looks the same, speaks the same, follows the same rules, but it's not the same person. So the question is, are we just, are we share? But they might share certain things. Are we sharing with what they have? It doesn't mean they're identical to us. It doesn't mean they have the same halachot. But fundamentally, we're talking the same language with regards to some of our values. We'll call them universal values, universal truths. Or alternatively, is Torah the blueprint to the extent that it erases all that preceded? Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch says, I had these seven misot, I had that relationship, old school. That was for the first 2,000 years, quote-unquote, of existence. Now that I met this Abraham, now that I introduced him, now that I have this Am Yisrael who descended from him, so I think about this completely new. Yes, Jeff. Would a Muslim who lives in the same time, what, where would they fall into the it, it, if, that's just, if that's the difference, then it's, we have the same commandment, but we just have a now, in terms of Avodah Zarah with a Muslim, it's not going to be so simple. We're going to say they're not Oved Avodah Zarah. The question will be, again, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking broadly, should I, should you, no, should, should someone in our nation engage in a conversation with a Muslim about belief in God? Is there anything to be derived with the appropriate safety and uh, not the fanfare, all that sort of stuff? Is there something to be derived? Is there something to be derived to speak to them about a law system? Is there something to be derived to engage in a conversation about what does it mean not to be involved in Avodah Zaragilui Ayayot and Shrikhutam? The question is can we and should we envision our lives as in any way built on similar foundations to the extent that, again, the closest I'm coming to a ramification is do I engage? 
engage in conversation? Do I read their works in order to derive certain truths? Do I read it just as to know how to respond because we've uprooted it? You're not going to look anywhere but Torah. Or can I and should I envision in such a fashion? So uh, Rav Lichtenstein, uh, again, this is a broader, larger conversation. It's, it's one that goes back to even non-Jewish sources in discussing are there universal uh, ideals in this world? There's a system that builds law. As, uh, are we fulfilling those laws because of the system? Or is there something everyone can agree to? Or are there many things everyone can agree to? He says, I do not adopt this uh, general approach. In fact, I think quite the contrary is true. Whatever is demanded of us as part of Knesset Israel does not negate what is demanded of us simply as human beings on a universal level, but rather comes in addition. Okay, and he addresses Shabbat. I'm just very briefly going to read to you. He's, it's in English here, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell it to you some in Hebrew. Harambam in Hilchot Melachim in Perek Tet Halacha Aleph. He initially he opens the chapter, the Perek, by describing the Shesh Mitzvot, which, which Adam Harishon was commanded, and then the seventh, which Noah got. Then it, he describes how Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov had additional mitzvot. And then the concluding words <coughs> of this Halacha, of Perek Tet Halacha Aleph in Hilchot Melachim of Harambam, he says, Ad Sheba Moshe Rabbeinu, Venishlema hatora al yado. One more time. Until Moshe came, venishlema. Nishlema means and became complete through him, which appears at the most simple level, it could be stretched to be explained differently, as if he's suggesting that all those mitzvot which preceded Moshe Rabbeinu are the beginning of it. So you got up to a number count, B'nai Noah, Adam, and Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, whatever the number is exactly, and then a little bit more over the time until Torah comes, and it caps it off, which makes it sound as if that's in addition to that's not to state, Charlie, that we're going to have identical details with regards to those initial ones, but it means we're talking the same language. It means there is something shared on a universal level. Again, that's something to be discussed and debated anytime you talk about the world which surrounds us. It's a general perspective and question. Uh, do I engage with them like Harambam seems to state in one place because they'll service me? Or alternatively, is there something not to be learned from them with regards to Torah values, but to values of humankind which, upon which Torah was built. Okay, anyway, that being the case, back to our Gemara here on Dafnun Ted, and we'll, at some point, uh, go back to that and elaborate and, and elucidate more. It says the Gemara over here, it cites from Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel. Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel Omer, Af Haddam Min Hachai, if you recall, we had our Sheva Mitzvot ben Enoach, and then at the end, there were a few additional uh, Mitzvot that were suggested. One of them was Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel, he suggested that Dam Min Hachai is prohibited. Not only Eber Min Hachai, a limb from a living uh, animal is prohibited. I didn't kill the animal, I just grabbed the limb, I'm a Ben Noach, that's prohibited. He says, if you drew blood from the animal without killing the animal, the animal is alive, but somehow you got blood, you pulled off the limb and you just licked the uh, blood. Now that was certainly, according to my understanding, that was an idolatrous uh, pagan type of ritual thing. There was something about the life of blood which came from a living organism regardless of whether it was so. We're Ben Noach, Nizhar on that, would be Hanina Ben Gamliel, stated that they were, so we're going to now deal with some sourcing and some logic. Tanur Rabbanan Beraita taught the following, Ach basar damo lo tochelu. So this is a pasuk in Parashat Noah, in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu ostensibly is commanding, specifically basar benafsho. Basar benafsho means the flesh with its life, 
don't eat. But it doesn't say just don't eat the flesh, don't have evim in hachai. There's an additional word in that pasuk, damo. Now it's true the Torah elsewhere tells us that dam is the nefesh, but it's a little bit redundant. If the pasuk is telling you don't eat from this animal while it's alive, while it has its nefesh, its life source to it, so why add the word damo? Ach basar benafsho, it should just say lotochelu, that additional word of damo, which of course is a reference to its blood, lotochelu, is interesting. That's what provokes the curiosity of Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel. So here it says the Beraita, ach basar benafsho damo lotochelu ze even min hachai, period. According to the Hachamim, just read it simply, even min hachai. The word damo, okay, damo is in there. Well, they'll explain to us in just a moment, as Rashi already gave us a sneak preview. They'll tell us why damo is in there. It has to do with shirasim, it has to do with a specific halakha with regards to those eight creepy crawling uh, uh, or animal, uh, beings. But for our purposes right now, all you learn in terms of the sheva mitzvot b'nei noach is ever minachayr b'hanina ben gamliel omer, af hadam minachayr b'hanina ben gamliel says, absolutely not. It's not just one law which is taught in this terse pasuk, there are two laws, evim in a high, a limb from a, uh, a living organ, uh, animal, as well as the blood from the living animal. Says the Gemara, now in elaborating and explaining that opinion of what's his reasoning? Well, the Pasuk is quite simple. And additionally, there's that extra word, the word is, so to speak, telling you you can and should see double when you read this Pasuk. See double, see it, prohibition on the basar with flesh, with life as well as see a prohibition on dam, the blood with life that being the case that's, that's effectively what we're talking about that's the question, the question is drawing blood from an animal, I know I gave you a little bit more practical mind. I, pulled. I know, I was trying to make it practical. Yes, uh, as it says, says Nathan, just speak simply about this. You walked up to the animal and you start being makizdam. Makizdam means you're drawing blood. Once upon a time, they drew blood in order to bring forth health and break sweats and things like that. So you did it in order to, uh, to break fever or whatever. So you walked up to the animal and you start drawing the blood. Can I now drink that blood? Not as part of a pagan ritual, though that was what was being practiced. Just take it. I don't know, we want to have it for... I don't know, a drink at the, at the meal. Quite, well, I don't know, not, not as discussed. And the, stu- the kids in the school told me there's some celebrities who do that now. They have blood on their uh, necklaces. Okay, so something backward like that, which maybe could have existed back then. The question is, is that permitted? I don't, 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 don't stretch your imagination on this one. Anyway, that being the case, the question is over here, is it permitted or not? Bihanina ben Gamliel says, absolutely not, from this demo. Of course, we're going to turn to the hachamim and say, well, that word is an unnecessary word in this pasuk. The pasuk is talking about evim in a high. Why does it say demo? That word damo is lemishre to permit shirasim hu deata. It's coming to permit shirasim. Shirasim again is there's a mishnah in Masechet Shabbat. Shemona shirasim. It, it, it elaborates. It, it makes clear exactly what these eight shirasim are. But the Torah talks about shirasim. They're prohibited, of course, to eat. There are several violations if you were to eat from them. However, one of those violations is not, even though it's not kosher, to eat from it while it's alive. Why not? Because the vision of shirasim is different in terms of our halachic mindset than animals and wild beasts. How so? When I look at a sheritz, I don't distinguish between flesh and blood. They're these creepy crawling things. And I look at them and I say, that's all one entity. When I look at an animal in contrast, I say the animal has flesh 
and it has blood. As a result, when the Pasuk talks about Damo Binafsho, the vision say, Hachamim is one in which you look at it and you say, this has both Dam and Nefesh, Basar and Dam. Well, that being the case, I say the Hachamim. This Pasuk is telling you, Evim and Ahai is specifically and only prohibited by Behema, Haya, Of. It's not prohibited by Shiratim. Why not Shiratim? There's no such thing as Dam. What do you mean? I saw blood. That blood is the entity. It's the whole thing. That's the Mahlok of Bihanina, Ben Gamliel and Hachamim. Now Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel continues talking as Rashi points out, but you have to read it that way in the Gemara. says Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel, I found something similar by Yisrael. What do you mean? Rak hazak, says the Pasuk, ki hadam hu hanafesh. So the Pasuk initially is speaking to Am Yisrael and it says, don't, Genesis and Sefer Devarim, be strong, don't eat, don't eat or drink the blood because the blood represents the life source. Then the Pasuk concludes, velo tochal hanefesh im habasar. And then the Pasuk says, and don't eat the life, in other words, when it's alive, with the basar. You see that? That's a pasuk which juxtaposes. It puts right next to one and the other the isur of eating the blood, drinking the blood, and the flesh while it's alive. It appears as if to Yisrael, and we'd have our parallel now to B'nai Noah, there's a sivui, there's a prohibition, there's a warning, not only from having evim in a high, but dam min It appears to be so. The pasuk clearly by evim and ahai at the end of the pasuk is talking about when it's alive. The beginning of the pasuk, although it's not as clear, seems to be t- portraying to us a circumstance in which the blood is from a live being. And there's a specific prohibition and isur for that, says the Gemara. How would the hachamim respond to that? By reading that pasuk, it seems to be getting, giving us a vision as to how halacha works. Halacha works that it's not just evim and ahai, there's dam min For the hachamim, there's no such thing. It's not an isur of dam minachai. Says the Gemara, verabanan for bnei noach. Verabanan hahu ledam hakaza shehaneshama yoseabo hu deata. Says the Gemara that Rabbanan with a hachamim would respond. That pasuk is referring to a specific circumstance different than what we've addressed. It's the following. You haven't slaughtered the animal. You've drew the blood of the animal, but you're going to draw the blood to the extent that the animal will die. And that being the case, in that circumstance, while the animal is dying and the blood is coming out, it's no longer blood from a living animal, it's blood from a dead animal. How do you distinguish? Rashi quotes the Gemara elsewhere. Between You're drawing the blood from an animal as it's dying? Or I'm not talking about when it's dead. I'm talking about... It, for our purposes right now, no, you're in Masechet Hulin too far for me. It goes like this. The Pasuk in the Torah and Rashi cites this as well. Explicitly says when you slaughter the animal, the blood from that slaughtering is Asur. So that's from, you're talking about after the death, separate after Miliha, whatever. I'm talking, and in the act of slaughtering, that's Asur. The question is, is only that Asur as I slaughtered it? I, 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 I got it ready for, for consumption? Or alternatively, I just drew the blood from, from this animal in order to kill it. Walked up to the animal, I have some sort of sadistic mindset or whatever, I'm one of these crazy people, and I just uh, puncture it, I'm just letting the blood out. 
And then at a certain point, and this is what Rashi quotes from elsewhere, the blood gets darkened. When it gets darkened, you'll understand, I guess the oxygen has been lost or whatever the circumstance is, and now that blood is considered the dam of a dying or dead animal. That blood is specifically what's being prohibited in this pasuk. That's the Yisur from this pasuk, which means to say, for our purposes, Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel, you didn't prove anything. Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel, you were trying to prove that just like by Yisrael, we have dam min ha-hai, so to by Bnei Noachai of dam min ha-hai. This pasuk's not talking about dam min ha-hai. This pasuk is talking about dam min ha-hai, but we already have a pasuk about dam min ha-hai. That pasuk say the hachamim is when you slaughtered. Maybe it's only in the context of slaughtering for one reason or another. Over here, it's hakaza. It's even asur over here. No, because when you pulled it off, it was alive. That's why I'm telling you the blood needs to be at a point. That's what Rashi quotes from the Gemara when it got black. When it got black, we envision this animal already as dead. You understand what I'm saying? The blood beforehand is not, is, is, is you know, is min ha-chai. Says the Gemara, Lama li lemichtav lebnei noach velama li lemishneh besinai. So this really starts another segment of the Gemara. We're done with Bihanina ben Gamliel for all intents and purposes. It's mahluk with hachamim. You could put a, a period right before this. Says the Gemara, Lama li, why is it that the Torah teaches this, writes it more specifically to bnei noach, and then repeats it at Sinai? And we're referring uh, we're referring specifically, it appears, to Evim in Hachai. Now, the, the question is a basic question. In other words, if we were already, and, and keep in mind the conversation we had at the beginning of the class. You know, I want that in the back of your mind throughout. Listen to the question and then return to the question that we asked at the beginning of the class from Rabbi Lichtenstein. Right? So the question is, if it was already taught to B'nai Noach, why would it be repeated at Har Sinai? What do you mean, why would it be repeated? If I have that Rav Hutner approach, of course it needs to be repeated. I'm uprooting what was initially. It has to be repeated at Har Sinai. If you didn't repeat it at Har Sinai, so then you're working with old information. There's a new Berit which, 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 which uh, replaced that initial one. Okay, so keep that in mind with regards to the ensuing conversation. But so that's the question of the Gemara. Now, why, doesn't, why does the Gemara only ask this in the context of Evem in Hachai? Why doesn't the Gemara ask this in the context of Abu Dazarav, Gilui Arayot, if they were already commanded to Bnei Noach? Why is it repeated to B'nai Israel as well after we get the Torah? Says Rashi, and he's alluding to the Gemara later on somewhat, he says when it comes to Abu Dazara, it comes to Gilui Arayot, there are specific details, there are piratim to the halachot that we derive from post-Ma'amad Sinai. If you just read that pasuk in Parashat Bereshit, if you just gloss over or even in depth read the pasukim from Noach and Bereshit, you don't have all the details of who and what and how, you need to read the Torah later on. So you don't have such a question, why is it repeated? It's repeated for the details. Details. What do we need repetition on that? There's no details. Don't eat from the, the flesh, from the limb of a living being. There's not so many extra halakhot. Answers the Gemara. Kidir Nishnet means it's repeated. Period. That's not case number one. Any mitzvah which we find prior to Torah giving, we'll call it prior to Parashat Yitro, and then it's repeated again after Parashat Yitro, let's call it, after the Torah being given, that's, that's a mitzvah which is binding for eternity, both for B'nai Noach and for Yisrael. That one's somewhat straightforward. Um, secondly, L'b'nai Noach, what if it was commanded before the giving of the Torah, V'lo nishnet b'sinai, and it was not repeated to uh, at Sinai. In other words, it's no longer repeated in the Torah. We only know about it from beforehand. Anyone think of one? 
This is going to be one. You'll see. As it says the Gemara, Yisrael ne'emra velo noach. That's just for Yisrael. Just a fascinating thing. Again, it's given before the Torah, not repeated again after the Torah. Who keeps that one? Yisrael, not noach. Pause for a second and think about our conversation from before the class again. That one is very strange if you have the perspective of Rabbi I'm not saying he can't explain it. It's very strange that you'll find a circumstance where it was commanded specifically before the giving of the Torah, but it's binding only for us, ultimately speaking, and not for the B'nai Noah. Why? Because it wasn't repeated. It wasn't repeated, you should say it expired, which will be a question of the Gemara, but just the perspective. Says the Gemara, ve'anu en lanu ela we can only find one case like that. That's Gid HaNasheh. Gid HaNasheh, of course, being the sciatic nerve, which is prohibited to <coughs> consume from animals. And it was mentioned, and we're going to say, I'll explain to you what Alibada means in a second. It was mentioned where? It was mentioned in Parashat Vayishlach by Yaakov. Yaakov has this fight with this Ish, enigmatic, mysterious passage in the Torah. He wakes up from it and he's solea al yerecho, he's limping, and the Torah in that moment stops and says, Alkin, therefore, lo yochilu b'nei Yisrael, b'nei Yisrael, first, um, it's a reference to b'nei Yisrael, sounds like futuristic, from this part of an animal, and indeed, until today, that's a prohibition. Well, it says, Alkin, lo yochilu b'nei Yisrael, then you don't have to even go through the whole argument about repetition at all. Absolutely. Absolutely, hang on to that question for a split second. So it goes like this. Alibadr Biuda means, and it's according to the Biuda because of the following. There's a mahlok in a masechet chulin. There's a perek called perek gidhanashe. And in that perek, Biuda and Chachamim disagree about the following question. That pasuk, which is injected there in Parashat Vayishlach, when was that stated? When was that commanded? Was it commanded in the moment? And it's now binding in the future? Or was it commanded after Ma'amad HaSinai and HaKadosh Baruch Hu as he's dictating to Moshe what to write? He says, now write Alken lo yochilu. Rabbi Uda says, well, Hachamim first say, it was commanded after Ma'amad HaSinai. It was commanded after Ma'amad HaSinai. It says, Alken lo yochilu b'nei Yisrael. I understand that much. And as a result, there's nothing bearing and binding in our Gemara if it was commanded. But it wasn't commanded before. And it was only transcribed transcribed afterwards as if it was before. Rabbi Uda says, no, it was commanded in that moment. It's commanded in that moment. And as a result, we learn from that somehow that that's binding just for B'nai Israel as opposed to Umota Olam. That's my, that's my case. Asks Teddy a very simple question. He says, the Pasuk says, Alken lo yochilu B'nai Israel." You didn't find a case where it was commanded before and not after. That would be the Rav Hutner type of answer if you were here at the beginning. Just, that's, that would be the answer. The answer would be, what's that? It was just coined Israel. Just coined Israel, but it does say B'nai Israel. seems to be in contrast to B'nai Noah. So, in other words, so that, but, but that's, that's our case in the, in here in the Gemara. Says the Gemara, let's now go back and analyze, and we'll spend a little bit of time, these two principles. Again, principle number one, if it's a mitzvah that was commanded before and after Har Sinai, so the halacha is it's binding both for us and for B'nai Noach. If it was commanded only before Har Sinai and then not again afterwards, then it's commanded only for us at this point and not for B'nai Noach. Amar Mor, let's go back and understand this. If it's something that was repeated at Sinai, stated before and repeated, it's both for us and for the B'nai Noach, asks the Gemara the obvious question. Adrabah, the opposite should be true. 
If it was repeated at Har Sinai, why would? Listen to the question again. I told you, I have to frame the whole class based on that first 10 minutes of the class. If it was repeated at Har Sinai, why would it be repeated? It was already commanded to us. What do you mean it was already commanded? It was already commanded to B'nai Noah. It appears as if the Gemara is saying what was commanded to B'nai Noah, we could conceptually say, would extend to us. Or what's the answer going to be? So the fact that it was stated before Har Sinai and then repeated at Har Sinai sounds redundant. It must be repeated only to tell you it's no longer binding for B'nai Noah. But you just told me that if it's before and after, or before and during, then the halakha is going to be relevant to both. Says Gemara, I have a technical answer. The fact that Avodah clearly is a prohibition to B'nai Noach before the giving of the Torah. And then clearly, and we talked about this Pasuk, Rashi quotes it over here. We quoted it in the Gemara a little bit ago. Pasuk says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us that he, for this reason, because of the to'ivot of the amim in Eres Kenan, that's why I'm killing them and, and banishing them from this land. Because of this reason, because of Avodah Zarah, it's after the giving of the Torah. Clearly, it's something that's binding to them after the giving of the Torah as well. God is punishing them upon our entrance into Eretz Kenan, into Eretz Israel. I'm going to destroy all these, these, these nations because they've done Avodah Zarah. But they're not commanded. Clearly, they are commanded. That is our binyana. If we look at Avodah Zarah and we say, you see, it was commanded before the giving of the Torah. It was commanded or binding even after the giving of the Torah. We learn from that that matters which were were commanded before and after are binding both for us and for the Umot Ha'olam. That's the conclusion of the Gemara at this point. Says the Gemara onward, What about the circumstance where it was, it was stated before the giving of the Torah, but it wasn't repeated after the giving of the Torah? What was our principle on that? Our principle was that it's only binding for us, only for Yisrael, not for the Umot Ha'olam. Says the Gemara again, the opposite should be true. Why was it commanded before and then not again afterwards? We have our berit with HaGadosh Baruch Hu. have repeated it to us? The fact that it wasn't repeated to us at Israel at, at, at Har Sinai and afterwards, well, then that makes it quite clear to me that it's binding for them, but not for us. Akadosh Baruch Hu isn't going to uh, be, uh, be careful with his wording and not command us. He would command us. If it's binding to us, he would command us. The fact that it was commanded only beforehand seems clear to, should be clear to us. It's not part of our berit, says the Gemara, inconceivable, impossible. Listen to this line again and, and, and structure it based on our conversation at the beginning. It cannot and will not be a reality that something is prohibited for the Umot Ha'olam, for the Bnei Noach, and not for us. That's the statement, which means to say it's impossible that they would have it and we wouldn't have it. So it was, it was stated before Har Sinai and then not again afterwards. It means we took it. We took it, but it was there. Yeah, but it's impossible that they have it and we don't have it, which seems to be describing some value with regards, some value with regards to what they have, had and will have, and what we have at the same time. Says the Gemara, is that really so? There's no such thing. Again, that was to prove the principle. The principle was, if it was stated before Har Sinai and then not again afterwards, we keep it and they don't. What's the reason? Because it can't be that it's theirs and not ours. They wouldn't have more prohibitions. They wouldn't have more truths with regards to ideals and structures and strictures than us. So that's Gemara, is it really so? The Torah tells us, the woman who's a Yifator, you went out to a war and you find this woman and this woman is beautiful and you want to get married to her. Are you allowed to get married to her? 
So the Torah says you're allowed to. There's a whole process in how to do so, but you're allowed to. But we stated in the Gemara just a, a page and a half ago, a daf and a half ago, that for B'nai Noach, it's Asur, it's considered gezel for them. <laughs> I thought you just told me there's no such thing that's going to be prohibited for them and permitted for us. Yifatuar, I found one. It's permitted for us, it's prohibited for them. We go out to war, find that woman, you're allowed to. I mean, the Gemara, the Rashim commentary to the Torah makes clear this isn't something that's ideal, but it's a submission to human beings. Like Adosh Baruch Hu says, I'll teach you how to do it right. But I found an example. Says the Gemara, That's only a functional reason. It means, technically speaking, it shouldn't be permitted to us nor to them. It is permitted to us because we're commanded to conquer the land of Israel. Conquering the land of Israel, you go out to war and you're going to meet this woman. They're not commanded to conquer the land of Israel. They're not going to be put in this circumstance where they have a sivui to be kovesh and they find that woman. So it's just a reason based on technicalities that it applies. It's a detail that it doesn't apply to them. I found another one, says the Gemara, the halacha, we mentioned this just a daf and a half ago in the Gemara, the halacha is that for B'nai Noach, if they steal one from the other, that's very cheap amount of money, they're liable. They were over on Gezel. That was if you recall from the Berata. We said for Yisrael, it's not so. I don't want you doing it, but it's but it's not it's not prohibited. Pachod mishave peruta is not prohibited. I found another one. You just told me it's inconceivable, ad absurdum. I'll never find a situation where B'nai Noach are commanded and we're not. Pachod mishave peruta. They are not allowed to steal from one one from the other. Pachod mishave peruta. We are says the Gemara over there as well. Who said that's permitted? Hatam mishum delav b'nei The reason that we say by B'nai Noach. They're liable is because we assume that they don't forgive in such a search circumstance. The reason by Yisrael it's not so, it's not because it was permitted, not because you were supposed to do it, because we assume the person was stole, had such a small amount stolen from him. He's a Yisrael, he's Rahmanim, he's like the Gemara says in Masechet Yivamot, that Yisrael, one of their character traits is they have a Midav Rahamim of mercy and they're Mohel. So it's a technicality again. It's not that it's technically permitted to us and not for them, it's that it's technically not right for anyone. One, but for them, they'll be liable. For us, taking from a Yisrael, you won't be liable because we assume that they will be mohel. Says the Gemara, okay, let's go back to our principle. If it was stated to B'nai Noach before the giving of the Torah, and then repeated again at Sinai, that was our principle. Our principle is that it's for both of us, if it's so. I have a few challenges, says the Gemara. Berit Milah, Berit Milah explicitly is for B'nai Israel. It's not for Umot HaOlam, it's not for B'nai Noach. Shine Imrad B'nai Noach, but it was st- stated, quote unquote, for B'nai Noach, you need to translate that as, before the Torah was given. It's a pasuk to Abraham, Dikhti ve'atat beriti tishmor. The pasuk says, you're going to have this berit. It's pasuk to Abraham. You're going to keep this berit. It's a covenant which is done through berit milah. V'nishnet b'sinai, and then you have it again after the giving of the Torah. Bayom HaShemini Yimol. And we know that milah is given to us and not to them. Well, that being the case, I'm confused. You told me if it's stated before the giving of the Torah and then again after the giving of the Torah, then it's for both of us. It's a universal thing, both the B'nai Noach and us. It's not so. This is repeated before and after. We would want this one to be only before. That's what you told me. If it's only before and stuff. Says the Gemara, 
ביום ואפילו בשבת. So as Gemara, that's only a technical reason why the Torah repeats milah. Not that it needed to repeat the, the milah. Not that milah has some sort of intrinsic importance in being repeated. Rather, it was repeated just for one detail. What's the detail? That it's Doheh Shabbat, which means to say the Torah says, Uba Yom HaShemini. Instead of saying Uba Shemini on the 8th, it says on the 8th day, it tells you that it's the 8th day uh, to the extent that even if it's Hilul Shabbat as a result, that's the Halakha, which means to say the Torah didn't need to repeat it, and technically speaking, isn't repeating just milah, it's repeating it for one extra halakha. Lastly, says the Gemara, I have another example. It was stated before the Torah, it's repeated after the Torah, procreation. It's, it's, it's stated before and then again after the giving of the Torah and we are clear this is only for Bnei Yisrael, not for Umot Ha'olam. Answers the Gemara and I'm not going to, not going to translate it because Mahlok Rashi and Tosavot will deal with it tomorrow. Says the Gemara Hahu, that was again for a technical halakha. Lekol davash b'minyan sarich minyan ahel lahatiro. That's for a technical halakha, not for the halakha, the mitzvah itself and in turn we're able to deflect that, that claim against us that even though it was stated before and again, after Sinai, it's not to just repeat it. If it was to just repeat it, Benenoch would be involved. The reason it's repeated again afterwards is for a particular and specific halakha, which we'll discuss tomorrow. Davar Shabbat Minyan, Sarich Minyan Ahel Lehatiro, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen, Amen.